Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Have you been wondering how the El Salvador Bitcoin law has been going? Well, the law went live on the 7th of September, and I invited Aaron Van Weerdem, Bitcoin journalist at Bitcoin Magazine, and he's a very well-known journalist in the Bitcoin space. And Aaron is actually on the ground in El Salvador. So we get the point of view from the ground, how the rollout went, as well as the good, the bad, and the ugly, the critiques, the protesters, uh, the critiques around the arguments of remittance. And we sort through the fact and fiction, what's the truth of the matter, and what's the real nuance there on the ground in terms of using Bitcoin, the Chivo wallet, using Lightning in El Salvador, and remittances. And we also chat a little bit about Bitcoin Core version 22 and Aaron's recent article on that also. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. And if you want to join, as my friend Hasma Cook says, the DCA army, you've got to set up your Bitcoin savings plan or Bitcoin automatic recurring buys. And with Swan, there's a focus on education and content. So for example, Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin, you can get that for free by going to swanbitcoin.com slash free book. And with Swan, it's Bitcoin only. There's no altcoins. It's a great place to send your pre-coiner and new coiner friends. And if you are looking to purchase a lot of Bitcoin, if you're a high net worth individual or a corporate or a business and you want some more one-on-one guidance, a dedicated Bitcoin account expert, Swan Private is the service for you. So if you go to swanbitcoin.com and at the top, you'll see private. So go there and start setting up your lump sum purchase or your Bitcoin automated recurring purchase plan. Next up is Lend at HODL HODL, a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can borrow or lend out stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HODL HODL, you no longer need to sell your Bitcoin to get some short-term liquidity. You just borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin and control your collateral in escrow throughout the whole deal. While stablecoin owners can earn some extra interest by lending their stablecoins out and defining the terms and the APR for their deals. HODL HODL's lending platform is currently going through a major upgrade with many improvements to be available by the end of the month. Sign up to lend.hodlhodl with a promo code SEPTEMBER to get a 50% discount on the platform's origination fee once the lending functionality is available again. Have you considered Bitcoin mining? CompassMining.io are making it easy for everyone to start Bitcoin mining. So on the site, you can go there, you can select the miners. They've got ant miners available, and they've also got a Compass Mining mini bundle deal with six ant miners. So go and check out the website to see the details in terms of the cost. You select your miner, and you can select the facility to send your miners to, and then also select the mining pool. You pay the hosting fee, and you receive sats. It's a great way to get started. Not everyone can access these industrial power rates at home, and not everyone can access this kind of equipment and the prices. So Compass Mining are making it easy for everyone to mine Bitcoin. Go to compassmining.io and start today. Aaron, I'm a big fan of your work. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Is this the first time that I'm on your show? Yeah, actually, I, I was think just thinking so, right? about that. It is the first time you're on my show. Because now, just for listeners, we did a, a Sailor Academy live stream and I hosted Aaron as part of that, but actually this is the first time uh, I've got Aaron on my show. So that's, uh, it's great to be with you. And for listeners who are new, Aaron is one of the legendary Bitcoin journalists. So definitely uh, he's written a lot of excellent articles and he's also a podcast host himself. So you guys make sure you go and uh, check out Aaron's podcast. Uh, but the reason I wanted to chat with Aaron today is he's on the ground. So Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about where you are and what your experience has been just broadly? Yeah, so I'm in San Salvador right now, which is the capital of El Salvador. I've been in El Salvador since 
early July. A uh, small intermezzo. I will say that I was in Nashville in the meantime at the Bitcoin Magazine offices for a couple of days and in Mexico. But I've been there for well over two months now uh, just to see how the whole Bitcoin law was being rolled out and how it would be accepted and just keep a pulse on everything going on over here. I'm still here, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I'd love to chat a little bit and see what your perspective is. Obviously, you're on the ground because there were differing views, right? Obviously, amongst us Bitcoiners, we were mostly supportive, although I would say, in fairness, if we were being principled, we should be against Article 7 of the Bitcoin law, which mandates that a person must accept Bitcoin, right? And so I think, I mean, my view on this is it's, it's an imperfect step forward, right? Because the mere fact that they are taking away capital gains on Bitcoin and enabling and supporting it, that's obviously a big positive. But from my point of view, Article 7 is a negative. It is a downside from my point of view. And I have seen there have been some protests, but I think it's, it's probably a nuanced perspective. And I'd love to hear what you think about some of that. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that. So if we get to the protests first, there are protests and they are sort of uh, branded as no all Bitcoin protests. So, uh, you know, no Bitcoin, anti-Bitcoin protests. But uh, I'd say that's more of a flag of a, that, that the opponents of Bukela are now sort of rallying under. It is... Uh, the, the reason is that, okay, so first of all, Bukele is very popular in the country, but he still has opposition, of course. And he has been taking some pretty controversial measures recently as well. Like he replaced part of the high court, the high court judges, Supreme Court judges, I guess. Uh, recently, he's also been replacing, firing a lot of regular judges. He he's he's definitely consolidating power in that sense. So it you know there's definitely opposition against him for these kinds of reasons, and also just for policy reasons. People that think that he's not spending enough on this or that, or too much on this or that, or you know, just just opposition issues, and uh, it's focusing a lot of Bitcoin now. If you get to the concerns about Bitcoin itself, it's also pretty varied. So some concerns are, you know, I would consider FUD, essentially, that Bitcoin is only used or that it will be used for money laundering. You know, I would argue the same is true for cash and Bitcoin is actually being regulated the same as in most other countries. So the concern, if there is a concern about that at all, then it should be equal for Germany or Canada, or I'm just naming random countries, but it, it's not like it's more open in that sense here. But but yeah, money laundering, uh, the, you know, it's good for criminals, these kinds of issues. I've heard someone mention that Bitcoin was not for poor people because they can't afford to buy a Bitcoin, apparently not realizing that you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. So there's definitely a lot of misinformation about Bitcoin at these protests. But like you mentioned, there are also some concerns that I would consider valid. One valid concern is, well, you already mentioned Article 7, so the mandated part of the law. Now, there are outs in the law. You know, you don't have to accept Bitcoin if you obviously cannot, technically. However, when are you obviously not able to do it? That's very ill-defined. That's not specified in the law. So that opens the door for, um, uh, what's the term? Let's just say abuse of the law. 
Uh, and like an abuse of power. Or, yeah. Yeah, an abuse of power. I've heard examples where in El Salvador, some restaurants were closed during pandemic, during the pandemic for not keeping to the COVID rules, while other restaurants were kept open. And it turned out that these restaurants that were closed also had issues with Bukele. So there, there's a very nice English word that I, that's slipping my mind for that kind oh, of... I think I think I know that it's like selective enforcement. Selective enforcement, yeah, exactly. So, the, so yeah. even if there are outs in Article Seven, it also opens the door for selective enforcement potentially. So th- that's uh, a legitimate concern, I would say. There's also one of the concerns is that there's very little transparency about anything the government is doing really in this regard, which I would also consider legitimate. Like, how are the funds spent? Or if we want to get more into like a Bitcoin topic with the f- you know the free and open source culture, then no one knows how this wallet actually works. The wallet, the Chivo wallet that the government rolled out, it's a custodial wallet, but who's holding the funds? That's not even clear. Or So there's a lot of lack of transparency and the government's not really answering these questions. So I, I would say it's, it's balanced and nuanced in multiple ways. First of all, the protests aren't really only about Bitcoin and the parts that are about Bitcoin are also a mix of just misinformation and some legitimate concerns. So that's that's what you're seeing. But if I, you know, my impression is that generally it's more anti-Bukele than anti-Bitcoin, the protest. Yeah, I see. From what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but Bitcoin is a part of it. An image. Yeah, right. And I, I, as I understand, part of that protest or one of the protests, I saw an image of a Bitcoin ATM being burned or something like that, right? So do you know anything about that? That's obviously obviously a very iconic image to you know that the media will take and that's easy to spread on social media and that's because it's visual and that's something that people will immediately understand that people are angry about Bitcoin or about the Chivo uh, because the ATMs are also branded as Chivo. So yeah, that happened. That happened. I think it was two days ago. But that's another good example that on that was actually the day that El Salvador celebrated 200 years of independence. And that was also a reason for the opposition to sort of rally protests. So again, I don't think it was, these protests was really about Bitcoin, although it may have been a part of it. But, you know, burning down a Chivo ATM makes for a very iconic image that everyone will see. So Of course, yeah. And I saw some of the commentary from Alex Gladstein, who obviously of the HRF, Human Rights Foundation, and also a writer for Bitcoin Magazine. He was commenting that some of that tension was potentially because of the bad experience with dollarization about 20 years ago. So do you have any commentary on that or do you agree, disagree? I have heard that uh, and I obviously uh, read Gladstein's article and he also had a tweet thread about it earlier. And and I did hear people um, share that concern. I was on a radio show here actually a couple of weeks ago talking about Bitcoin and then that was also one of the things that people brought up. And what Alex explained in that article is that if I'm getting the numbers correct and $1 was worth 8.75 colon, the colon was the currency before the dollar, but when the prices were changed, when people started pricing things in dollars, they just did a divided by 10 kind of thing. And therefore, it was as if a lot of things became 10 times more expensive overnight. That's We actually had something similar happen in the Netherlands. I'm from the Netherlands, as you know, when, the, when we changed from the guilder to the euro, we also had that similar issue where just because of the exchange rates between the guilder and the euro it made sense to just round things up a little bit but because of that a lot of things went 
you know, became 10% more expensive overnight. And this, Alex explained, especially affected the poorer part of the population, the people that would, um, you know, get their stuff from mom and pop stores that would, in fact, round their round their uh, amounts up a little bit. And part of it is also that back when the dollar dollarization happened, there was also a very strong narrative pushed by the government back then that it would be an optional thing that the dollar would just be an extra option so the colon would still exist and circulate but the dollar would become an extra option what happened in reality is that the dollar very quickly just overtook everything i think within a year or maybe two or something like that there were basically no colognes anymore so uh, a lot of people that were you know who that were uh, who whose concerns were eased back then on the promise that it would be optional kind of felt betrayed and now we have this government saying that bitcoin will be optional so they have that sort of natural distrust for these kinds of promises I do think that this time it actually is different because this time the dollar is clearly still the unit of account. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. That's also what the government is promising. Uh, Again, you know, depends on your trust in the government, I guess, when it comes to promises from the government. But in the case of Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is volatile, I think we can both agree on that. It makes, it actually does make a lot more sense to keep things priced in dollars. So if things are priced in dollars, then that concern shouldn't really matter so you could maybe um categorize that concern as another you know sort of not really a valid concern but but it is a concern yeah, people yeah. have and that i've heard and it i don't know how big of a part of this i i haven't heard it much but i did hear it here and there that people have sort of bad memories from from a dollarization chapter and it might you know inform some of their concerns now yeah understandable and so I'd love to talk a little bit about your experiences as well, going around and actually buying things with Bitcoin, right? So I presume, you know, you got a Lightning wallet and you're just going out there and you had a really uh, big one where you went to Macca's, McDonald's, we call it Macca's yes. in Australia, but uh, McDonald's. Uh, and yeah, tell us a little bit about, I want to hear that experience. I mean, the experience is very, this is not going to make for a good story. But yeah, no, it was September 7th. So there was Bitcoin day. I woke up. Okay, so actually, so let's take a step back. So I've been here for a while now. I've been here since early July, more or less. And while I was here, I was going around, you know, speaking with people, including also financial institutions. Just a month before the law went into effect, me and a couple of other Bitcoiners, we visited like banks in the country, payment processors. These kinds of uh, yeah financial institutions, and in our discussions with them, it became clear to us that they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know what Bitcoin really was or how it worked. They didn't know what the Lightning Network was or how it related to Bitcoin. They didn't know if they were supposed to be mining. They didn't know if they should be using XRP, Ripple. They like they didn't even know where to start. They had no idea, and there was also no or at least very little information from the government coming out. Now, they were talking about the Chiva wallet, but there was no Chiva wallet and there was no information on the Chiva wallet, apart from, you know, maybe some slight decks or some you know, superficial stuff, but n- nothing in depth of how it worked or nothing like that. Um, there was some regulation published like one week before the law about how financial institutions should deal with Bitcoin. And that was mostly the just sort of the standard uh, standard KYC AML type of stuff that that was, I think, quite literally copied from other countries. But it, overall, it was just, there was basically nothing. And people didn't know anything about Bitcoin and Bitcoin was not accepted 
anywhere outside of El Zonta, basically. Some other, you know, some other restaurants maybe here and there if you went to look for them, but nothing on any serious scale at all. And I, I was discussing this with Alex Klassin, actually, literally, I think it was literally the evening before the Bitcoin law went to it, into effect. We were sort of discussing our experiences in the country. And I think I literally said, as an example, there's no way McDonald's is going to accept Bitcoin tomorrow. And he completely agreed with that. There's no way something, you know, something like McDonald's is going to accept Bitcoin. So yeah, the next day I woke up and I went to get breakfast. There's actually a McDonald's right across the street here where I'm staying. And they have pretty decent breakfast actually here. It's like the typical Salvadoran breakfast. It's not the stupid McMuffins or whatever. It's, it's, it's actually half decent and it's close. So I walked in and... Because I'm a journalist, basically, because it's my job to do so, I asked, can I pay with Bitcoin just so they could say no. And then I, you know, had learned that my assumptions were correct. But to my stupid surprise, they actually printed out this little receipt thingy. It had a QR code on it. It was a little bit of a puzzle because it wasn't a lightning invoice or a Bitcoin thing. So I had to, but it was a URL, URL to a website and there wasn't lightning invoice there. So to my surprise, I could actually pay with Bitcoin, which uh, which was kind of funny. So I, I tweeted it out with a spelling error, obviously, and that became my most viral tweet ever. So now I'm the McDonald's guy, <laughs> retweeted by Edward Snowden and, and, and the president of the country and tens of thousands of other people. So That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And so, I mean, do you know whether that was using the Chivo wallet on some kind of web interface or was that like a mcdonald's thing that they had coded up uh yeah they were not using tivo they were using open node i, I doubt anyone at oh, McDonald's actually okay. coded something up but surely they got some sort of partnership and <laughs> they made it happen yeah it were especially uh still now i guess but it's especially sort of these big chains these um, you know multi multi-billion dollar chains that have started accepting bitcoin here I guess, you know, they have the time and uh, money to actually do it. So, you know, you can go to McDonald's or Pizza Hut or Starbucks or uh, these kinds of places and they'll accept Bitcoin. Uh, It's not really, from what I've seen, it's not a regular restaurant just, you know, that's operated by one guy or one family. They are in general not really accepting Bitcoin yet from what I've seen. But it is there is a trickle going on. I do see there are new additions and there are new uh, places where I can start to accept it. But st- so far, from what I've seen, it's mostly like the big chains and sort of working the way down to smaller chains are now also starting. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and, so- and, I, have, and I have met, I, I have been at a couple of places that do use the Chiva walls as well now. So it started out with McDonald's, which did not, and also the Pizza Hut, which I mentioned, the Starbucks. They're using Ibex. But now there are actually some supermarkets, like so national, well, yeah, supermarkets that will exist across the country that start to use the Chiva wallet. Uh, I think um, maybe also Subway or, but I've seen the I've seen the Chiva wallet a couple of times as well now, which does not use Lightning, by the way, uh, or maybe the merchant that's helping me doesn't know how to switch or something like that. But it seems like that's only on chain for now. Right. So it's. Yeah, I've heard different opinions and I've seen different uh, points of view here because some people have said they can use, they can use Lightning on it or maybe there was some initial teething issues so maybe they disabled the Lightning and they're going to re-enable it later. I'm not quite clear there. 
I mean, when it comes to when it comes to the Chiva wallet itself, so what I just described were basically the merchant solutions. I think it's all on the same app. When you start the app, you can pick if you're a user or a merchant or maybe something else. To be clear, I don't have the app because you know I'm not Salvadoran, so I can't use it. It's it, you need to use your Salvadoran ID thing to uh, to get it started. Yeah. But um, I have been playing around with other people's apps a little bit. So the merchant solution, every time that I came across one, it works. Although it also work uh, only works on chain. Uh, the regular app for users is basically a giant mess. Uh, it's working some of the time. So on day one, a lot of people couldn't download it, even though a lot of people also could download it. I think it was downloaded half a million times or something, which is, of course, a lot. Uh, but from every time I tried it, it was either incredibly slow or some weird bug didn't let us scan a QR code or um, it just crashed altogether or wouldn't even start up or... I think we lost money. I think well, because we were just playing around with it, you know, sending $20 in Bitcoin to the thing, see if we could get it out of the ATM. No one knows where that $20 went anymore. So there are lots of issues. Uh, they clearly wanted to ship it on September 7th, no matter what, because it's just unfinished software. Uh, it did work a couple of times. I'm, you know, there were, and I've heard other people that have used it successfully. So it's, you know, it's hit and miss, but in general, it's just clearly unfinished software. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But uh, as I understand, the Bitcoin law does not mandate that they use the Chivo wallet. They can use any Lightning wallet. But as I understand, uh, in practice, probably a lot of the businesses want to receive in US dollars. And so that's why they are trying to provide the Chivo wallet as a government option for them to be able to receive Bitcoin. But actually, the merchant receives US dollars. But in fairness, you could do the same with OpenNode too. So... Yeah, I don't know how the open node infrastructure works exactly. I assume there's probably a conversion fee involved somehow, somewhere. That's not the case with Chivo. So with Chivo, if you are a merchant and you accept $5 in Bitcoin, you actually literally get $5 worth of dollars. Uh, so the conversion there is essentially subsidized by the government, which is another issue, by the way, which I haven't mentioned that some people, also libertarians might, you know, if if they're consistent in their ideology would have to oppose that because now the government is subsidizing that but um and that's also something that people don't like there's this fund that uh, the government has set apart that will buy up these bitcoin now they can of course sell these bitcoin but still there the government is subsidizing the friction there but uh, that is to your point that is a important reason for people to use the chiva wallets because then they don't have to pay any conversion fee they just get literally in dollars what they were paid so it's a strong incentive to use chivo instead of other solutions even though other solutions yeah. clearly work better most of the time as far as i can tell yeah yeah um so i guess let's summarize it this way then so if that merchant or user is happy to just stay bitcoin native they can just use the well-known lightning wallets and just fully everything would just work as it normally would on the lightning network but where they want the specific us dollar aspect that's where they tend to be using chivo or some other solution um, and yeah, not to mention that if you use an actual Lightning wallet uh, or a Bitcoin wallet, uh, you control your own keys, which is obviously another benefit. The, the one thing I didn't mention, the other incentive for the Chivo, which I'm sure you know, uh, but I haven't mentioned it yet, is the free thirty dollars of Bitcoin. So everyone that opens up a Chivo wallet gets gets thirty dollars of Bitcoin. Which sounds nice and is nice. Uh, I guess the two concerns with that is one. Again, it's government subsidized. You can 
have an opinion on that. The other thing is that they had this scheme where the first $30 in the Chivo app could only be spent two other Chivo apps. So one hop mm. can only be on two other Chivo apps. Now, once you've done one hop, it's free. Now you can spend it to any Bitcoin wallet or you can cash it out in an ATM or whatever. But the first hop is only Chivo to Chivo. So the idea there is obviously to incentivize people to actually use Bitcoin, to actually try it out rather than run to the closest ATM, get $30 out and never look at it again. So that's the incentive. <laughs> right. But what really happened, or at least one of the things that happened is that a lot of people would take their $30 and would go to McDonald's or to Pizza Hut or they wanted to buy something on Bitrefill and they learned that they couldn't. And they didn't understand why they couldn't. And the McDonald's didn't understand why they couldn't. So now everyone has a bad experience and they think Bitcoin doesn't work because they don't get that the $30 can only be spent to another Chiva wallet. So right. a lot of people that had their first experience with Bitcoin now had a bad experience due to do that restriction, which you know I think it's very unfortunate that they put that. I get the incentive, I get the motivation for the, for the restriction, but it's very anti-Bitcoin, first of all. And it's just giving people a bad experience. And it's unfortunate that their first Bitcoin experience is one where it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So I guess we're, we're really going through the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Like that there are a lot of teething issues, let's say. Uh, and in fairness, I think it was always going to be this way because we're talking about six and a half million people who many of have not been exposed to Bitcoin. Uh, and of course, they're not necessarily on Bitcoin Twitter like the rest of us who are like hardcore Bitcoin people, I can understand where there would be some of that teething issue. But hopefully, as the months progress, things get better and the experience is nicer and slick and easy and a bit better for people so that it's not yeah, such no. a jarring experience, not being able to spend your sats, right? Yeah, well, you mentioned we've been through the good, the bad and the ugly. I guess I've mostly been through the bad and the ugly so far. Maybe maybe that's my <laughs> journalist mindset where I focus on the things that are negative. To be clear, in general, I think it's absolutely great that a country or at least I think a country like El Salvador could benefit a lot from Bitcoin. It's just unfortunate that some of these bad aspects uh, are there because now that is becoming a focal point also within the country, you know, like the protests we've mentioned, and they actually have a good point. Like if if these bad aspects weren't there, if the $30 was freely spendable, if it wasn't mandated, like if, if these things were cut out a lot, then it would just be great and I'd be a very happy guy here. But I, I'm, I am a happy guy, but now now there's so much negative yeah. to focus on, which was so easily to avoid, with, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. But you but know, it's the, but it's, it's the always, first country. Be this way. It's the first country that tries something like this. So obviously, there are going to be lessons to be learned, and obviously, there are going to be kinks in the cable that are going to have to be worked out. So I also, I actually don't want to sound too negative. I'm sounding too negative, probably. In general, I think it's a great <laughs> well, opportunity for everyone here. Of course, and, and, so and I've, I had, and I've got, had great experiences yeah. as well. So let's mention some of the great experiences yeah. then. So one of the cool things was that uh, someone on Twitter, uh, what was his name again? I forgot his name. Sorry if you're listening. Am I really not going to remember his name? No, I, sorry. So that guy, he he made a suggestion on Twitter where he said, hey, is it possible? Oh, Matt Alborg. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was sorry, Matt Alborg. So it wasn't actually yeah. Matt Alborg. It was someone that changed his name to... I uh, know. Thank you, Matt Alborg. That's now we got it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Although I think it was maybe someone from 
Cash App or Strike or someone else who actually made the original suggestion, Bitrefill, I don't remember. Someone made the suggestion that, hey, could you go to an, to an ATM there, actually take a photo of the QR code, send that to us, and then see if you get the money out. So I did. And uh, the video is on Twitter. It's like a four-minute video from start to finish where you see how I indeed withdraw cash from a Bitcoin ATM here sent by someone across the world who also shared a screenshot that clarified that he paid like $20 and maybe 30 cents and I got $20 out, which is obviously, you know, that changes the game of remittances completely. You couldn't do that before. If you wanted to do $20 in remittances, you're going to pay half of it in fees. That's just completely Mm. unfeasible. Better yet, the next day I went back to my favorite restaurant, McDonald's, and that time, <laughs> I, I took a photo of the QR code of my payment for a Big Mac. I posted that on Twitter, and someone across the world paid a Big Mac for me with like basically <laughs> no fees over Lightning, and I was eating Big Mac. You know that these kinds of things were not possible two weeks ago, and they're possible now. And it's really cool, and it's it, it, it's it it could be a real solution for people here because remittances is, is really expensive. So, so these are definitely some success stories and th- there is a lot of potential there. Yeah. And I mean, I have listeners all over the world. So there might be listeners out there who are thinking, yeah, like I want to come and spend some sats and I want to actually support uh, the, the idea of trying to have a Bitcoin economy. And so there might be Bitcoiners all around the world who are listening and they just want to get a perspective from you. What's it like on the ground? And hey, maybe I'll come and visit. Um, I, I will be uh, coming to visit because uh, there's Adopting Bitcoin conference on in November. So I'm looking forward to coming down and, you know, using my Lightning wallet and all of those things. So I think that'll be a really fun experience uh, just to sort of live in the future, right? And I think some of us, obviously, in the Bitcoin world, we've been living in the future in some ways, right? Like there was the Lightning conference in 2019, and that really felt like living in the future. Like you would walk around the conference and you'd be able to pay with Lightning for ice cream or for things uh, or at, at the various Bitcoin, uh, you know, magazine or BTC media conferences, there's a big strong focus on lightning. Even in uh, Bitcoin 2019, there was that there and even the recent Bitcoin 2021. So I think those are some cool experiences for Bitcoiners out there. And I know President Bikela has also mentioned this idea of a Bitcoin permanent residence. So I believe it's three Bitcoins and you either purchase purchase property or uh, put that into a business and that will entitle you to residence rights in El Salvador. So that could also be a really interesting aspect. And I know also uh, there will be no uh, tax on the gain there. So that's also very potentially interesting. Um, So I guess for anyone out there who's listening and maybe they're thinking about going to El Salvador, some of them might have the concern around like vaccine passports and things like that. What's been the experience there and what's what's that uh, what's the kind of role there in El Salvador? El Salvador is not a libertarian haven when it comes to COVID. Uh, they uh, well, first of all, there's still the mask mandate, although I think it's only indoors. If it's also outdoors, then I've been breaking the law, but uh, not been uh, <laughs> fined for it. I've, I think it's only indoors as far as I can tell. Um, uh, Bukele has actually, from what I understand, been pretty strict when it comes to lockdowns and these kinds of things. In fact, I believe, but someone feel free to fact check me on this. I believe that uh, one of his lockdown laws was considered unconstitutional. 
and that's why he fired the all these judges from the Supreme Court and got new judges in, basically to get his way. Uh, to get into the country, uh, I think you need uh, either. When I got in, I needed either proof of vaccination or negative test. I think that's probably still the case. But if you go to like El Zante, for example, so what well, the mask mandate, for example, which I just mentioned, that's mostly San Salvador because in El Zante, I have not seen a single mask worn by <laughs> anyone. So right. there's definitely a difference uh, between different parts of the country. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, because this is something that comes up a lot, is security and safety. A lot of people are concerned about coming to El Salvador because they've heard bad stories about, you know, the, the gang violence and the high murder rate. Um, I've been here for, you know, two and a half months now. I've not felt unsafe. I've mostly been in San Salvador. And to be fair, I've mostly been in the richer areas of San Salvador. Uh, or I was in one of the coastal towns, like the surf towns, the touristy places. And here I felt completely fine everywhere. You probably don't want to go to bad neighborhoods at night, maybe, but there are Ubers and you can just Uber anywhere. So why would you walk in bad neighborhoods at night? There's no reason to do that. Uh, or maybe like parts of the country that are more controlled by the gangs. But, you know, again, don't go there if, you, if you're concerned about that. I think if you sort of stay in San Salvador in the coastal places, then I don't think you need to be concerned. I have not been concerned. I've not heard any bad stories. So I think in that sense, people that want to go to the conference, I, I think that's, I personally think that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm, I'm hopeful that we see uh, it might be a nice experience for people to go and that maybe that helps the overall, if you will, this experiment, if, you're gonna, if we're going to call it that, or this kind of move forward, uh, that uh, if, you know, they, they the country supports Bitcoin and more Bitcoiners around the world want to come there and, either as a tourist or potentially as an investor or potentially even as a resident, there are different ways that they uh, might want to consider that. I mean, that's, that's um, even one of the arguments yeah. that Bukele gave for the Bitcoin laws that would attract Bitcoin tourists. So if you don't want to let him down, then definitely come down and spend your sets here. Yeah, the, the other thing <laughs> you mentioned is the, the free Bitcoin investments. That's indeed something he promised. I don't think there are any details about that yet. Um, that's, that's also sort of a common threat where, you know, there are a lot of... Um, promises or a lot of things that put out but then the details aren't really there so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out uh, but that is something uh, same uh, the other example would be uh, volcano mining for example which everyone is supporting in their avatar i don't know if that's actually going to happen i don't know if that's actually going to be feasible or cost efficient and i have not been able to discover any details about that or any concrete plans but uh, you know maybe it's like the chivo wallet where one day it's just there and then it works half <laughs> or maybe this time yeah, it will work yeah. great. We'll have to see. Back to the show in a moment. If you're thinking about your Bitcoin security, consider Unchained Capital and their vaults programs. You can get set up with a multi-signature vault and you can remove single points of failure. So don't just leave your Bitcoin on a custodian or potentially even a single signature wallet if you've got enough you want to start thinking about multi-signature and removing those single points of failure so with the unchained setup you hold two keys in different locations ideally and unchained hold the third key and they make it easy for you to set up collaborative custody and if you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of unsure they've got a concierge onboarding package where they can basically ship you the hardware wallets you get 
coached in how to do this. Even if you've never held your own keys before, this is a great way to get started with a high level of security. So go to unchained.com and check out the packages there. Use code Levera to get a discount. And speaking of Bitcoin hardware security, the cold card is my favorite choice. Go to coinkite.com and they are selling cold cards there. And you can use the cold card as part of a multi-signature setup or in a single signature setup. And you can do it in on your own or actually with a provider like Unchained as an example. And so with the cold card, you can use it easily with wallets like Sparrow Wallet, Spectre Desktop, Blue Wallet or Electrum. And it's a great choice because you can air gap your transactions. You can use a micro SD card and never touch that hardware device to the actual computer directly. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera to order yours. And finally, Bitcoin backups. Cyphersafe.io are helping you backup your Bitcoin. So they've got a product coming called the Cypher Grid. This is the best value in the industry. Everything you need for $59. It's two stainless steel plates for all of your 24 seed words, not just one plate of 12 words. You get one of those uh, stamper automatic center punches provided. So you go through and stamp out the words. You can lock it with a padlock and it also has a tamper evidence seal provided. So this product is going to be brass, it'll be fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Levera to get a discount on your Cypher Grid. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I think it's maybe there's all these ideas out there and maybe not all of them are going to work. And I think that's the other thing as well. Sometimes, and you've probably got a similar experience as well, I've seen over the years, Bitcoin just as a movement and as a technology, sometimes it goes in like a two steps forward, one step back dance and so there are times where we sort of overextend and then we kind of come back down to reality and then again and then wait a few more years and then boom it comes again so i think for people who are expecting that you know el salvador is going to hyper bitcoinize all of a sudden and it's going to everyone's going to no i think it's going to be more like a gradual and slow thing that over time people slowly get accustomed to using bitcoin and look just like all of us had to deal with bitcoin's volatility Salvadorans are going to have to learn that lesson that we all learned, right? Because you can only learn these things once you go through that big drop and who knows, right? Whatever, if, there, if there's a big bull run later this year and a big crash, well, Salvadorans and people who are holding some Bitcoin are going to have to learn to deal with that aspect of it. So that's part of the Bitcoiners journey, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Bitcoin is or money in general is very much an emergent property. I'm, I'm very much a Hayekian in that sense. I think that's that's how money works in the same way that language works. You know, people speak language because they want to, not because it's mandated. In fact, if you mandate the language, then people might get angry. We've seen that in uh, Catalonia, for example, yeah. region in Spain where they wanted to mandate Spanish and people took the streets. Uh, language, money, these kinds of things are emergent properties. And I, I think the most the governments can do is create an equal playing field for, you know, so they're creating an equal playing field for the dollar and the Bitcoin, which, which is good, I think. Ideally, they'd get rid of all legal tender laws, but that's another story. Uh, so they can do that and they can sort of offer, you know, fair regulation and or no regulation again, ideally, but let's just say fair regulation for now. And then it's really up to the people to adopt it or not. And it's up to people to discover if Bitcoin, you know, is really going to benefit them or not. And I personally suspects that it will grow same as other countries of course but you know now that El Salvador is creating this environment you know yeah. it's a fertile environment and I think that that could really benefit yeah. Salvadorans but it's definitely gonna, not going to be an overnight thing it's going to be 
years before it's it's it grows and like you said two steps forward one step back yeah yeah and actually even on that same theme of being a hayekian i think hayek also did write and speak about this idea of to the extent that governments exist that they shouldn't be thinking of themselves like a like a top-down architect they should see themselves more like a gardener right you're sort of tilling and you're you're making a good environment for the people to go and i think that's kind of aligned with what you were just saying there that it should be to the extent that you think government should exist or not i mean obviously i'm a libertarian but you know to the extent that it should exist it should be trying to minimize that uh trying to set up a good environment for people who can then go build the products and build the services and all of those things um yeah so so yeah exactly topics, so that's the, so yeah, that's a good on. thing about this law that's that's what i really like about this law that it is doing that and then we don't have to get into the, that again but what sort of contrary is that is that mandatory part of it like that shouldn't be part of it if you just want to provide a fertile environment but that they are creating a fertile environment is absolutely great Exactly. Yeah. And uh, one other big topic we've got to get into, and you touched on this earlier, is the whole remittance thing, right? Now, let me set the stage a little bit. There has been very conflicting and different views, right? So if you talk to, say, someone like Jack Mallers of Strike, or if you talk to, you know, uh, most of us who are Bitcoin bullish, we'll be like, yeah, it's free remittance now, and it's cheap, and it's fast. But if you talk to, let's say, Steve Hankey, right, someone who's meant to be a free market economist, but he will be out here saying, no, it sh they should be doing a currency board and look how cheap Western Union is. And he'll put it like, oh, see, the current because you're having to convert back and forth to the US dollar each time you're paying a conversion fee. And that's why you shouldn't use Bitcoin. So I guess what's what's the reality or what's the real nuance on the ground there uh, in terms of using Bitcoin for remittance? I mean, the obvious thing first, the obvious thing is that if you don't convert from dollars and back into dollars, then clearly Bitcoin is superior for remittance because it costs the fraction of a cent. It costs, you know, a lightning fee at this point to send money from anywhere in the world to El Salvador. Maybe that will increase over time. Uh, you know, scaling is still an issue even with lightning. But at the very least, we can objectively say that at this point, if you use Lightning and people just spend the Bitcoin here, then remittance remittance isn't even a term that should be used anymore. Same as you know, long distance calls. It's just you, we get on Skype or whatever. It's 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 a thing of the past. So would remittance fees be? Now, if you get into his point that if you want to convert from dollars to Bitcoin and then back to dollars, I think it gets a lot more complicated and nuanced so one of the things he argues what he took as an example was basically the pre-bitcoin law remittance fees so he would assume i don't know what his exact i don't know what his assumption were for buying bitcoin maybe he took the most expensive example there coinbase or whatever the most expensive example is uh and then send the money here and then he probably assumed the highest possible transaction fee on chain or something and then he went here and then the highest fee if you go to an atm which were indeed you know could be pretty steep they, they could charge five percent or maybe even more at some of the atms you know a month ago now that has changed now with the bitcoin law because now you can exchange your bitcoin here into dollars for free which i did so i know for a fact that that's possible there's no denying that the more nuance or you know if you want to get more into it then the question is okay and we mentioned this what's really happening is the government is subsidizing that it's free because the government is subsidizing the friction so then the question is all right how much is the government actually paying for that are they paying less than the atms were before 
maybe because they got better routes or they get bulk discounts or I don't know how that works exactly. Um, that's a much harder question to answer. Like, is the taxpayer just paying these costs now and would it in fact indeed still be cheaper overall if people used Western Union? I don't have the answer to that. And the, the reason I don't have the answer to that is in part because the government, again, is not giving any transparency when it comes to these kinds of things. They're mm-hmm. not, yeah. they, they didn't put out a research report where they detailed what it was costing them exactly to do this or what it was costing them before to get dollar bills in the country and how that's compared and what the math is and, you know, why this is cheaper. They didn't put that out. So we don't, I don't know. I don't think Steve Hanken know, knows. We're, he's making a set of assumptions and these assumptions may or may not hold up. I will say that it's, I I think, and this is, for example, also Jack Maller's argument that for, uh, especially for lower amounts, Bitcoin is actually, and Lightning is actually a much better solution because there's this base fee for mittens. So you, whatever the amount is, you have to pay $8 or whatever it is. So if you're transmitting $10,000, then maybe these $8, you know, don't really make much of a difference. But if you're transmitting 30, then all of a sudden these $8 make a big difference. And with Lightning, you don't have that starting fee. So, and the 5% is still the 5% on the other end. So for small remittances, it might actually be better to uh, use Bitcoin. Now, as you hear, I'm kind of speculating and thinking out loud because I do think that's all we can do at this point. We don't have the exact numbers. So the government is subsidizing it. So as long as they're doing that, then it's obviously cheaper. Other than that, you know, even if the government wouldn't subsidize it, which I might prefer, just ideologically speaking, then it would be another option. And then it doesn't matter what anyone writes in their paper for Johns Hopkins University or whatever. People can just have the choice and pick whatever the cheapest option is. Right now, I think it's hard to say what is actually going on beyond the screws and therefore what is actually cheaper or in which cases it makes sense, in which case it it does not. Mm. I do think Steve Hanke gave a very one-sided example. And that's probably not really accurate of... I mean, and look, I guess setting aside the ideological objection to government subsidizing things, it is, I mean, we wouldn't say, oh... I mean, the governments make the roads, right? We wouldn't, um, like, it is, I guess, quote unquote, free to use the roads and the people can, civilians can use roads, right? So, in the same way, we would say, well, civilians of El Salvador can, you know, use Bitcoin. And it, yes, it's government subsidized, but at least it's free to them. Yes, no, that's that that's a very good point. That, no, I agree. That's a very good point that the government subsidizes a lot of infrastructure. And if you consider this financial infrastructure, then it makes sense for the government maybe to subsidize it. However, then the question remains, why do they subsidize this? And why don't they subsidize Western Union remittances, for example? There's still like a choice of what the government is doing. And maybe, and this is me very much speculating, I think that maybe the reason they're, they're subsidizing Bitcoin in particular is because they recognize that being a dollarized country and being dependent on the United States and the US dollar and the Federal Reserve policy is really harming the country. And they recognize that. And that's why they figured, okay, we're going to subsidize and we're going to help bootstrap Bitcoin here because that would actually be a way out. That's a much bigger issue. And interestingly, while that's definitely something that people will discuss on your podcast and that people will discuss that your listeners will know about, that piece of the argument that part of the argument has not been focalized here at all basically it's not part of the pro it's like no one well i don't want to over i don't want to say no one but it's as big of a 
argument and as big of a topic that is on Bitcoin Twitter, here no one speaks about it, including the government. There was even this part of the initial draft of the government that Jack Mallers uh, read on stage at Bitcoin 21, 2021. Where he where where it specified that Federal Reserve policy was harming El Salvador or something like that that was removed from the law. So is that because they don't want to ruffle feathers? Maybe I don't know. Is that because they changed their mind on that? Also possible. I don't know. But it is definitely notable that that argument has been almost completely absent here. Even though to me it sounds like that is actually the biggest argument in favor of you know offering an alternative to the dollar. Yeah, interesting stuff. And I guess you, we could also argue that by supporting a Bitcoin network, maybe arguably they're sort of less choosing winners, right? Whereas if they were to subsidize Western Union, they're kind of picking a winner and just giving money to this company. Whereas if they sort of say, hey, here's the Bitcoin and Lightning Network, you're allowed to use whatever wallet you want, but here's the government one if you, for whatever reason, can't choose uh, or cannot use a private uh, market solution. Maybe there's a little bit of an argument on that aspect. But I think the broader point as well that I think the Steve Hankies of the world and others like that ignore is the convenience factor as well. Because uh, as you know, people would point out, even people down in Bitcoin Beach and El Zonte would point out that let's say grandma or mum back home has to go and ride the bus for a few hours to go get the get that money out. Whereas if, if they use a Bitcoin wallet, they've just got it right there on their phone straight away. And although we don't really like the coercion aspect of Article 7, they can now directly spend the Bitcoin. And that's an important part, right? Because without that ability to directly spend Bitcoin, it you can't close the loop. Yes, that, I agree. But that does come back to sort of the original argument that if people actually use Bitcoin, then remittance isn't even an issue in, anymore. Then that word doesn't even make sense anymore. If people do want to get dollars, which was sort of the base assumption for Steve Hanke's paper, then they, in that case, still need to go to a ATM and get the dollars out. So that might still require a bus ride. And that might still be a place where the gangs sort of hang out to see who's getting a lot of money. So in that sense, I would say it's probably equal. Uh, you can, of course, keep the dollars in your app as well. You can keep a dollar amount, dollar balance in your app. Um, so maybe you could um, counter the argument in that way that people don't actually have to get the cash anymore. They can just pay each other in dollars through the Chivo app if the Chivo app works. Uh, so it, maybe if you want to make that argument, that they that, then it holds up. Yeah, but but if you want cash, yeah, then the problem is still similar. I would say. Right, and actually, I'm also curious your thoughts on this, also, and just your experience on the ground. What's been your experience with talking to Salvadorans and people on the ground in terms of how they manage? How much USD they hold, that's how much Bitcoin and Sats they hold. Is it sort of like people keep their tips in Bitcoin and they just hold a little bit of Bitcoin and then for most of their day-to-day -day stuff, they're holding USD? Or what's kind of the sense you have just from discussions? I mean, I don't think there's one strategy. Some people are happy to hold Bitcoin. I've met people that would accept Bitcoin on one day, but not on another because they thought Bitcoin was going down and that's the day they don't want to accept Bitcoin. But then <laughs> if you were there a week before, yeah. they did. So that will be a case. I mean, I've met uh, Salvadorans that are basically trading, that are just trying to time the market. So, uh, you know, they'll keep it in Bitcoin when they think it goes up and they transfer to dollars when they think it's going to go down. Um, I don't, I, it's not clear to me that they fully recognize that they're just currency trading, that they're trading Bitcoin, but that is what they're doing. Um, 
uh, and, and definitely also just especially now with this new uh, with since the law has gone into effect and these big chains, McDonald's and Pizza Hut and Starbucks and, and all those, I'm pretty sure that they just convert it into dollars immediately. Although I mean, maybe maybe they maybe McDonald's would surprise me again, but I, I'm assuming they're they're taking it in dollars. But uh, in general, to to answer your more your question more generally, I do think volatility is clearly the number one problem. It's also uh, one of the so one of the things is that one of the arguments, another argument that I haven't mentioned is that there's this perception that Bitcoin is for the rich. Here, when you go to these protests, that's sort of one of the things you'll hear that Bitcoin is for the rich. Um, one thing they might say is because not everyone has internet or because not everyone has uh, cell phones. I'm not sure I find that argument very convincing. But another argument they will give is that if you are rich, you can stomach the volatility. Well, if you're really living paycheck to paycheck and you need your food to eat, then you're not going to be able to take any volatility risk. And therefore, Bitcoin is uh, better suited for the rich. Now that is an argument that I think is like, that actually holds up. That yeah, it's true. If you have a lot of money, you can stomach the volatility better. So I do think volatility is definitely the number one challenge. If I have to mention one number one challenge for a country like El Salvador, it's it's the volatility of Bitcoin. You know when you when you yeah. when you yeah. price it in day to day goods, which most people have to price their living expenses in. Yeah, one Bitcoin yeah, is one yeah. Bitcoin. I mean, it, it's true and sounds nice on social media, <laughs> but it doesn't help them very much if they want to buy pupusas and, and, and the price drops by 10%. Yeah, right. And as if their expenses are, you know, denominated in US dollars, whether that's rent or employees, wages or, you know, food products that you, you know, your wholesale cost of what you're buying. And I can understand that aspect. And it might just be a, a matter of time there as well for people to get accustomed to the volatility and then at some level, whether they consciously think about it or just kind of do it without really thinking, have a small portion of Bitcoin that they hold, some sats, and then maybe they keep their US dollar for their kind of day-to-day stuff, but over time... Yeah, that's the that's the positive side of things, of course, which I, of course, forgot to mention, as, as, as I tend to do, apparently. But yeah, no, it is true that, you know, Bitcoin has savings <laughs> technology. It's also savings technology for people here. And up till now, they had no savings technology. They had no, they had no other option to save at all. So it does now offer this to people. So if they can set anything apart, then now they actually can set something apart because now they have something to save in. And that is affecting, you know, that's something that uh, the people from El Zante mentioned, Bitcoin Beach, that they'll mention a lot. And also the people, some of the people I've spoken to, that they actually do do that. So they're now starting to get more into a savings mindset. And that's that's very interesting. So yeah, that's the positive uh, side of things, of volatility. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And I'll tell you what, it's like... Here's the good counter argument then to the the protesters in that example, because they would say, oh, it's only for the rich. But think about it this way. Right now, if you can't access buying property or stocks, again, which is, again, accessible to the rich, you can't save. And so in this way, you can. You can stack sats, you can stack a fraction of Bitcoin, a small amount, and it's actually accessible in that way. Of course, it'll take time for people to learn that and to understand that and to, to, as we say, have a long-term view. Uh, But I think the whole savings technology narrative, as our friend Pierre Rochard has uh, famously 
popularized is an important one. I think actually, and also an, an important idea as well for people out there who want to support uh, El Salvadorans, as my friend Hass McCook says, if everyone's out here setting up their DCA stacking sats plan, because if the price of Bitcoin, if, if you become part of the quote unquote DCA army and you help uh, the price stabilize or steadily be rising over time, then that will provide a better experience for anyone who's saving into Bitcoin. And so you're sort of helping deal with that volatility problem if you're joining the DCA Yeah, army. to that point, or <laughs> I'm not sure if it's exactly to that point, but you just mentioned, uh, yeah, so let's get back to the protesters again, I guess. One of the arguments I've also heard is, you know, El Salvador is already an impoverished country. What are you doing bringing Bitcoin here? So that suggests that they're really looking at Bitcoin as sort of a luxury product. while I and I think you and probably a lot of your listeners will think, you know, part of the reason that the country is so impoverished, or at least it doesn't help that the country is dollarized and the dollar is being devalued by a different country. And now in a pretty perverse way, El Salvador is sort of paying the bill for that. That's not helping making the country richer either. So, you know, if you if you see, yeah, you and me will see Bitcoin as a potential to actually get out yeah. of that cycle. Um, but yeah, l like I mentioned, like I mentioned, that's one exactly. of the arguments that just hasn't been, I, I've not s heard it or seen it basically anywhere, including from the government. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not one of the arguments for Bitcoin that's being exposed here very much. And, and, and that's how you get into yeah, a situation where it's people a, it's see a funny it thing. A, it's a bit of a luxury product and a mismatch for a poor country, because why would you introduce a luxury product into a poor country? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, the flip side of it is the opportunities that if there are businesses who can sell products and, you know, wealthy Bitcoiners who want to come to El Salvador and spend their sats, that's opportunities, that's jobs for Salvadorans. So that's, I guess that's the um, flip side to that particular piece there. I also know you were a part of the Bitcoin meetup in El in Sal sorry in San Salvador. So can you tell us a little bit about that? How did that go down? What was the sentiment there? That's kind of a funny story, actually. So uh, I, it was probably about eight weeks ago, six weeks ago, somewhere around that time that me and a couple of Bitcoiners, there are Bitcoiners just visiting the country every week now, because as uh, at least for the past couple of months, that was the case. And in one weekend, uh, me and a couple of other Bitcoiners, we went to El Tunco, which is one of the beach towns. Uh, it's close to El Zante, but it's more geared towards uh, their parties there at night. And, and you can have a... A beer El Zonta is pretty quiet at night so we went there and at one point we were having breakfast with uh it was Moritz from Spectre uh Nicholas from uh Galois and uh Fode from Senegal <laughs> uh he, he just got the grant from uh, the Human Rights Foundation to set up a course there uh for to help Senegalese uh, yeah, work with nice. anyways Moritz sort of jokingly suggested to me, he said, Aaron, you know what you should do? You should organize a meetup. That way you don't have to find all the Bitcoiners in South Salvador. They'll come to you. <laughs> They'll come to yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> they, will make, right. they will make your job easier here. So we laughed for, uh, you know, we laughed. It was sort of a joke, I guess. But then we, you know, we sort of talked about it and we realized that was actually a very good idea. And we started putting together this meetup. So we put up a meetup page and picked a location, uh, Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, I figured Bitcoin Magazine would actually want to sponsor it. So, you know, because we want to help the community and give back to the community in these kinds of ways and support uh a project like this in El Salvador. So a Bitcoin magazine went came in to sponsor. And then the first time, I think uh, we went we went to a steak restaurant, of course, 
that that's obviously the first place you go to for a meetup. Uh, and uh, I think about 18 people showed up, something like that. And it was a uh, nice fun and a bunch of uh, Salvadoran people showed up and a bunch of uh, fellow travelers. And uh, so we decided to do it again. And then the second time, uh, Galois sponsored. And that time we just went for beers and 50 people showed up. So it was like a big growth, the second meetup. And then the third one we did on Bitcoin Day and uh, Bitrevel sponsored. And there were probably more than 100 people. Uh, we, we sort of reserved one part of a bar, but the whole meetup spilled over to the whole bar. And it was... Um, it was amazing. It was really cool to see all these international Bitcoiners show up for this, but also a lot of locals that showed up. And um, yeah, it was a very, very nice end of uh, of the Bitcoin day with a, a party with Bitcoiners in the in the middle of the jungle. In the, not That's in the fantastic. middle of the jungle, in the, in the middle of the volcano area, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Bitcoin meetups and I, I always try to pop into them or I've, you know, yeah, went back when I was in Sydney, I was an organizer for them. I think they're a great way to grow the scene and grow the um, knowledge and give education as well. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, to they're hear. so they're so easy to start as well, which yeah. is nice. Like it doesn't take that much organization. Just yeah. pick a spot, pick a, de- pick a date, time and people will show up and you have good conversations and a nice beer or something else. Steak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so definitely listeners, I encourage you get involved, either start a meetup or go join the local one and um, help out in whatever way you can. And also, I'm curious on Bitcoin companies coming to El Salvador. I, I presume you've seen a lot of this. What's been your... What, what have you seen there? Yeah, so there are a couple of companies that are, or a bunch of companies that are um, opening like a second or third office here, um, or, you know, hire country manager, uh, Bitrefill as a country manager, a strike, uh, also an office, uh, both of them. Uh, Paxful has got some feet on the ground here. Ibex, which is from Guatemala, so it was already close, but they're uh, uh, at least partly uh, settling in El Salvador as well. Um, also, just I've met a lot of people from companies that aren't necessarily moving the company here, but a lot of interest from it everywhere obviously atina which are doing the atms although i think that's i don't think i don't think that has been officially announced or anything but it's obvious that it's atina that are that are uh, that got the atm deal uh, speaking of which it's still not clear who built the chiva wallet there are probably multiple companies involved there but it gets back to the lack of transparency from the governments there's very little transparency about these kinds of things but um, yeah, getting back to your point about companies, Wells, I'm I'm almost certainly forgetting at least one, maybe several. Uh, but I mean, it's small. It's not like you know, it's not like I've not met a company that's moving its HQ over here. But like a second office and, of course, and getting yeah. some people here to help with the rollout, or um, so so it's creating jobs here as well, at least some jobs. So that's good for the local economy as well. Yeah, that's cool. So i guess and that's the other thing as well because this is a global thing there there are you know developers all over the world who are working on some bitcoin wallet or lightning wallet somewhere that's helping in that way as well so i mean that's that's the benefits of plugging into an open system like bitcoin right that it's open source and anyone who's helping bitcoin is now helping el salvador yeah that's pretty pretty amazing yeah exactly like as an example you know roy and the team at breeze making their breeze uh software in Israel, but anyone in El Salvador can just spin up a wallet and, and it's, it's got an inbuilt merchant POS terminal. So you can just open Breeze, start the merchant per- terminal and boom, you're receiving SATs. So all over the Lightning Network. So that's and just one probably, example. And it will probably work a lot better than the Chiva wallets as well. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm maybe um, dumping a bit, uh, dunking a bit too much on the Chiva wallets, but it is a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure uh, they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll know, improve it. We'll figure it out. I'm sure they're improving it. it uh, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't expect too much from them after one week. Go team Bukele. Let's let's make yeah. the Tivo wallet work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, wanted to ask you actually about uh, Bitcoin Core twenty two version twenty two. So you wrote an article about this. Also, what's your uh, what's the high level? I guess uh, comment you'd have about Bitcoin Core version twenty two. The high-level comments. I mean, as you know, Bitcoin Core has a new release every six months. I think this one took a little bit longer, actually, but uh, it's scheduled to have a new release every six months. Uh, so that means that after you know six months, there's a cutoff point, and then whatever is ready is in there, and whatever is not is a work in progress. So it's not like Bitcoin Core software is released, you know, like some commercial software when they have a new future ready, or it's not like that. It's just whatever is ready is ready. Now they did have some interesting things ready for this one. Uh, I think one of the most notable ones is uh, hardware wallet support in the GUI. In the user interface is now basically complete. You still need the HWI hardware wallet integration add-on sort of software, but then you can just use it from the Bitcoin War uh, Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, it was already available in the client. Sorry, am I saying that right? In the command line interface. Sorry, uh, but yeah. um, that that was obviously uh, as accessible to regular users. So now it's available in the wallet. So, you know, you can link your Trezor or Ledger or Open Dime or whatever it is and use the full security of Bitcoin Core. So that's cool. Uh, it's it's Taproot ready. Taproot, uh, the protocol upgrade will go live in November. And Bitcoin Core 21.1 was already Taproot ready, of course, the minor release. But this is the first major release that's Taproot ready. There's also some uh, minor, there's some minor Taproot support in it, but that you know that baby steps, like I mentioned, like Taproot addresses and things, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. you can't use like full Taproot functionality, like with all the smart contract stuff or anything like that. It's you can use Taproot for regular transactions essentially, and you can label your yeah. Taproot addresses as such uh, under the hoods, these kinds of things. Um, it's a uh, it's Bitcoin Core is now compatible with I2P, which is the, it's like the Tor-like, it, I2P is a little bit like Tor. I don't know the details. I don't know what the difference is exactly. From what I understand, yeah. Tor is more centralized when it comes to network mapping. And I2P has a more decentralized solution for that. Uh, while it's also a little bit better for hidden services, a bit more geared towards hidden services. So if you never need to leave the privacy network, then it's a bit better for that. While Tor is more uh, also suitable if you want to connect with the regular internet. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, there was... Um... Uh, I think the last big one was the test mempool accept. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, well, again, that's another baby step. It's like a small step. So the the bigger idea there, the bigger plan is that um, right now, sometimes if your transaction gets stuck, so you're receiving a transaction, but it has a very low fee and therefore it's stuck in a mempool, you can actually speed it up by spending the coins from that transaction in a new transaction with a higher transaction, uh, transaction fee, sorry. And then what a miner will do is it won't just look at transactions individually to see which pay the highest fees, but it will actually look at combinations of transactions. So a miner will be able to figure out, you know what, if I confirm this low fee transaction, then I can also confirm this high fee transaction and therefore that that's more profitable than picking two other transactions. So that's a way for re- users to get their transactions unstuck. This is sometimes very important in context of something like the Lightning Network, where if you, you know, sometimes you need to get a transaction confirmed within a certain time frame because otherwise your counterparty can claim the funds because uh, 
can steal from you or things, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes very important that you can use this functionality. Now, the problem is that what I just discussed is about which transactions are included in blocks. But before a transaction is included in a block, it must first be first must it must first be included in a mempool. So in the mempools of nodes for it to even make its way to miners for them to include it in the block. And for mempools, that logic that I just explained, child pays for parent, doesn't work. So now sometimes you're the transaction you're receiving might have such a low fee that it doesn't even make it in mempools, but then you also can't spend it up, uh, speed it up because the logic that you that, that the combination is considered doesn't apply yet. The long-term plan is that this will that this will work for mempools as well. So that the child child pays for parents logic will come to work for mempools. And so you can use it to get you know for the safety of the lightning network, for example. This is a multi-step progress to get there. And one of the steps that's been included in this Bitcoin core release is that you can sort of test this on your own node. So you can create multiple yep. transactions, test it on your own node, see if your mempool would accept it. And you know that's sort of just running a test essentially. But over longer term, this should also be uh, rolled out on the peer-to-peer network, for example. And then you can actually start sending packages of transactions. So these are then packages. So you're sending two packages as one, uh, two transactions as one package, and then it will be considered as, as such. So one baby step on that uh, direction. Now, there are, of course, many more subtle changes and bug fixes and Bitcoin Core just improves in all sorts of ways. But uh, in my article, what you're referring to, I think I, unless I'm forgetting one, but I think I indeed picks these four as sort of the most notable ones. Uh, For more, you can just read read the release notes, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, that's a good one for listeners who maybe you're not as technical and you just want to get a high level, get a few ideas. What were the big changes that came in this recent major release of Bitcoin Core, which is the reference implementation of Bitcoin? Um, And yeah, it's just there's all these little progress being made along the way. And uh, it's interesting to see, yeah, with test, uh, with mempool accept and things, as I understand, one of the concerns, like hypothetically, could be that, you know, you don't want to open it up that someone can like DOS the network or shut down someone's node by sending like malicious, you know, packages together. So it's kind of like, how do you intelligently do this and things like that. So uh, that's all um, really interesting stuff to see. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the one that the one that's maybe most interesting or most important is actually Taproot. So anyone that yeah. hasn't upgraded to Bitcoin Core 21.1 yet, you know, now is really the time to upgrade because the protocol upgrade will go live and you're not using full node security if you're not enforcing taproot starting somewhere mid-november so you know if you yep. haven't upgraded yet now is a very good time just upgrade to bitcoin core 22 and you're good to go yeah that's a good call out there aaron um so yeah listeners make sure you check out your if you've got a node package uh see if they've most of them would have put up the update um or they will soon and so you can update your package there or you can, um, you know, if you're running it manually, obviously you know how to do that uh, to go and get that updated and get up to speed because uh, there's lots of things happening in the Bitcoin land, whether that's in El Salvador or whether it's Bitcoin Core or it's Lightning. And it's it's so incredible to see all these things happening. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's probably a good spot to finish up here. But uh, Aaron, before no, or, we... Or it's uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin 2022. Can I shield that for yeah <laughs> for a second? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There you go. Man, I've, I'm, I've I'm shielded. excited for that. I, April, coming up. Biggest Bitcoin conference in the world. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin 22 coming up is April, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's going to be up in Miami, right? So, yes. So uh, 
I'm looking for, I was so upset that I missed 2021, um, but I'm, you know, 21 was make amazing. Sure I'm there for it was really overwhelmingly large and yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think it's just a good chance to meet um, lots of fellow like-minded Bitcoiners, right? So, and just to get a sense and you can sort of meet a lot of the Bitcoin Twitter people who you've been uh, following online or you might've been interacting with them and it's a good chance to get in touch and meet people that way. So I'm definitely, uh, I'm looking forward to that also. It, it's like, it's like Bitcoin Twitter comes to life. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think guess someone else you, described you, it like that. I don't remember who. <laughs> Yeah, um, so that's a good chance to meet people. And uh, yeah, of course, go and check out bitcoinmagazine.com. And Aaron, where can um, people find you? And of course, uh, where can people find your podcast as well? Yeah, so people can find me on Twitter, obviously, Aaron Van W. Uh, the podcast is called Bitcoin Explained nowadays. It was it used to be called the Van William Nato. We rebranded it. Now it's Bitcoin Explained. Just a Bitcoin magazine. Oh, we're bringing out a new print publication. Uh, in a couple of weeks, there will be a print publication, which will also include my story on El Salvador. So check that out. Fantastic. Well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for having me, Stefan. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks, Aaron. Get the show notes and the transcript over at stefanlevera.com slash 305. And make sure to share the show with your friends who want to learn about Bitcoin. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels.